0: So If you got your Bibles, turn to Malachi. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses uh, 13, to the end of chapter 3. At least to the end of chapter 3 in the English Bible. Hebrew Bible, they don't have a chapter 4. It just continues right to the end. Uh, those verses are there, but they, they uh, count that as all of chapter 3. Um, the conclusion really does span verse 13 to the end of chapter 4 and verse 6. And we're just going to take a look at the The first section of this today, the final dispute where, you know, God says, you've been harsh against me, and the people say, well, how? And then God provides the evidence through what they have done and what they have, what the people have said. So we're going to hear the, and then we'll hear the, so this is the final uh, dispute, and then another response. There's another group of people that were in and around uh, the people Malachi was speaking to who were responding very differently to God. And my prayer this morning is that we would be among them. But to put this conclusion into its proper perspective so that we can hear it with the force that it has, I think one of the things we need to do is read the whole thing. Now, I'm not going to get you to stand for this. It takes about nine minutes to read it through. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may rebuild, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, the people with whom the Lord is angry forever." Your own eyes will see this and you shall say great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. When you say that the Lord's temple is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, oh, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring." And spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him. It was, it was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and in uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you've turned aside from the way you've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people in Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah's been faithless, so an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. The second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And What was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, The God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit. Do not be faithless. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who tr- thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed." From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. You say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God and yet you're robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil or the, and the vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God, what is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. And those who feared the Lord spoke with one another and the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him to those who feared, of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will not leave them neither root nor branch But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. This is the word of the Lord. So to put that conclusion into perspective we need to need to review the whole message because remember this wasn't written in chapters and verses originally it was written as one act of communication one message to the people and we hit this conclusion in two parts the final dispute and then those another response Another way to respond to this. So let's take a look at at, uh, verses 13 to 15 first. The final dispute. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You've said it's vain to serve God. What's the profit in keeping his charge or walking in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. There's nothing new here. This is all stuff that Malachi has talked about and confronted throughout the message. There's three claims and one declaration. The first is really, is is kind of a declaration, but it's a claim of the people. It is vain to serve God. It's empty. It's futile. It has no purpose. Now, here's one thing I, I... as I've been studying Malachi, I don't think people were saying this verbally, but it was in their actions and their attitudes. Because nobody would really say, "Well, you know, I show up to church all the time, my kids go to Sunday school, I give in the offering on a regular basis, what I think is okay, uh, whatever," and I, I got the routine of religion down. Why isn't God blessing me? You know, this is kind of what Malachi is confronting. So they don't necessarily say this because they think they're doing good. They think they're doing all the right stuff and that God owes them. But they've come to the conclusion that because God isn't doing exactly what they think he should be doing, that it's vain, it's empty, it's futile. It is vain to serve God. That's their first declaration. To serve, to be a servant, to... to, Uh, In in many places, we also translate this word worship. I remember he's often talking to the priests and the Levites here. It's it's empty, it's vain, it's pointless to worship God. There's nothing worthwhile here. It's an empty thing. Uh, This word for vain, it's the same word that we get in uh, Exodus 20, verse 7, the Ten Commandments. Do not lift up the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain, to no good purpose, to emptiness. The main idea that they're stating here is that it's really not worthwhile showing up anymore. It's just empty. We're going to move on. It's vain to serve God. Now the next two statements are in the form of a question, but it's kind of a parallelism. They answer their own question with the first one. What is the prophet in keeping his charge? And what is the profit of walking about as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? In verse 14, what's the profit? Hebrew word here is used only 39 times in the Old Testament. It means uh, to to have a personal advantage from some activity, to to gain something, to profit, uh, to be in a place of advantage. The basic idea here is what's in it for me? This is the real question. What's in it for me? Keeping, keeping his charge, first of all. What's, what's in it for me to keep his charge? Uh, the, the, the one root word here, uh, to guard, to keep, to observe. What is the purpose of guarding, keeping, observing his observances? It's the, the noun and the verb go together here. It's the, the same root word of keeping his charge. Uh, the verb and the noun are from the same root word. Keeping his charge. What, is, what does it benefit me to protect, to guard, and to keep what God has entrusted to me? And this goes back, as the very first use of this word is Genesis 2.15, where humanity is given the task to guard, keep, and ensure the prosperity of the garden. The verb communicates doing something carefully, diligently, especially around covenant obligations, around the relationship. The people have said, what do I get out of it? What's in it for me? Is it really worth it? What do I gain investing myself in God's ways? What's the benefit of walking as in mourning before the Lord God of hosts? This is a part two of the two-part question. And it's, what's the, what, why bother being or living a repentant life. (laughs) See, the people didn't see their need to return. We saw that last week. Return to me and I'll return to you. Ah, do we really need to do that? Yes, yes you do. They didn't see their need to return or to repent and their worship therefore was, they didn't see that their worship was unacceptable to God. They didn't, they, they lived in the doubt of his love and his justice. And when you live in that, space, what's the point of repentance? What's the point of turning to God? What do you get out of it? Again, the key question is all self-centered here. What do I get out of it? Again, the people's questions in Malachi are not genuine questions. See, they've already answered their question, what's The purpose of keeping his charge, of of observing his commands, of of living a life of repentance before God, because it's vain to serve God. They've already stated that. They've already answered their own question. And then there's the final declaration, and this is just outright blasphemy. Verse 15. And now, we call the arrogant blessed. Blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test, and they escape. It's uh, attacking the character of God and defaming his character, saying that he he blesses, or or first of all, we call, and, and this is emphatic, we ourselves, this is what we declare about people's lives. We declare these people blessed. the same verb that happens in Psalm 1.1 Blessed is the man who walks does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord. This is the complete upside down version of that. Interestingly the verb asher, or asher to bless is not used for God to, dis, to state blessing on people but Uh, He blesses, but with a very different word, barach. And the barach blessing, when God says, I bless, originates in God's grace and his action. The ashar blessing originates in man's actions and achievements. And, And in this context, the context of Malachi's message, the declaration of blessing, Communicates then rather than go about in mourning, rather than uh, aligning ourselves with, with God, they're congratulating themselves that they don't really want or feel the need for God's favor. We're doing fine on our own, thanks anyway. The evil, pro- we declare the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper but they put god to the test they prosper they build themselves up it's in contrast to to in in chapter one and verse four where we heard god's declaration they may build but i'm going to tear it down this word here is for prosper is is the word for to build up evildoers not only build up (laughs) for themselves but they prosper and they put god to the test The the evildoers we saw in in chapter 1 as well, who are those who are doing evil? God says, if, if you're bringing an offering that's unacceptable, blind animals, is that not evil? And so here they are saying, hey, if you're bringing false sacrifices, if you're bringing not the best, if you're bringing stuff that's less than what God requires, then you're okay. You can prosper, it's fine. And they test God and they get away with it. Contrast that with, you know, and maybe they're thinking, well, here we're doing this and we know we're bringing not not the best sacrifices, but God hasn't struck us dead yet, so it must be fine. Like, remember Nadab and Abihu? They came with unauthorized fire before the Lord and boom, they were like, zap, dead. So, you know, God hasn't done that yet, so or or maybe God's just not worried about it anymore. And maybe the God of justice has left the building. And maybe he just doesn't love us anymore. Or maybe he's changed. I have loved you declares the Lord. I will come in response to your question of whether the God of justice is still around and I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed. The reason I haven't killed you off yet is my character, not your actions. See, God has invited his people to test him regarding his provision, but the idea here is questioning and attacking the character of God. They escape. Literally, they escape death or a threat. Typically, the word is used of God rescuing and delivering his people from crisis. So the main idea that they're coming, this, this final dispute with God, the people are saying this in their heart of hearts. And if you really push them, this is what they're saying. Since serving God is empty, since we don't get anything out of it, self-centered living is the best way to go. God doesn't act or judge, and we can get away with anything. As I said last week, this is functional atheism. God doesn't care. God is not just. It doesn't matter how you live. As long as you get along, live your truth. As long as you don't hurt others. And this leads to moral relativism, which is self-glorification, which is rebellion against any external authority. And we start to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And don't tell me how to live. Instead of Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This is the last dispute. And remember, these are people with their Bibles, showing up to synagogue regularly, making sacrifices, singing the songs, doing the routine. That's one response to the message. That's one conclusion to Malachi's challenge. There's another group of people we haven't met yet. Malachi's message, we haven't met this group of people yet, but now we meet them, verses 16 to 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and we don't know what they said. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when they make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. We shift gears here. We move from a disputation speech between God and people to to a narrative, a, a report from God and the people speaking to one another and against one another, to Malachi telling us what happens. It's not a conversation, it's a report, and it's a declaration of God. Then, at that time, a little Hebrew word here that marks a narrative transition. Something new is about to be said, logically connected with what has just been covered. This is the flip side of the coin. The fear of the Lord. That's why reading the whole book was, was a good idea, because the fear of the Lord has been part of the overarching theme of Malachi. We hear it and we feel it when we read through the whole message. And it's in stark contrast to the participants of the dispute passages who are constantly questioning whether God's right or not. All the way from 1, two to 3.15. Lack of fear, lack of reverence, no awe of God all revealed in their doubt and their skepticism and their questioning of God's love and justice. There is always a remnant of the faithful. There's always a Noah, an Abraham, a Moses, a Joshua, a Caleb. There's always a a Peter, who though he sticks his foot in his mouth and denies the Lord, is brought back to serve. There's always a remnant of the faithful. Malachi's message has, for the most part, fallen on deaf ears. That's one of the things you read through the prophets and you got to feel for these guys because they're they're sent by God and they've got to proclaim this message and they got this burning in their bones to speak to a people. Like Isaiah's told in Isaiah chapter 6, you know, he's like, who's going to go for me? And Isaiah's like, I'll go for you. And God's like, all right, awesome. Nobody's going to You know, it's like Jonah's the only prophet who has a massive response, but he's sent to the most wicked people outside of Israel, and they repent in dust and ashes, and then Jonah gets all grumpy about it. I think the message to Israel is the most reluctant prophet goes to the most wicked nation, and God can still turn things around. That's the message to Israel. Read Jonah for what the message is to Israel. (laughs) The people who fear God. These are people who, despite the circumstances, know that God loves them. That, despite their poverty, are willing to give their best to bring their tithes and offerings. These are the people who will remain faithful to their neighbors and guard their hearts and their spirits in relation to their marriage. These are people who will long for God to return and who won't be afraid to undergo the refining and the cleansing so they can know him more and worship him authentically and deeply from a place of purity. These are people who aren't looking for what they can get out of living for God but who live for God because of who he is and they celebrate the redemptive work that he has accomplished for them. To fear God God is to stand in reverential awe of his abiding love, his enduring justice, and his unchanging nature. I have loved you. I am coming to you. I do not change. The Lord has closed his ears to the cries of the arrogant and the self-absorbed. He is open and attentive to the humble and contrary. Notice that contrast. If we go back to chapter 2, You cover the Lord's altar with your tears, but he no longer regards your offering or accepts it with favor. But for those who fear him, he pays attention and he hears them. Notice that there is only one characteristic of these people that they fear God. They stand in awe of him. We're not told what they say or how they engage with the other people or what they're doing. All we know is that they stand in reverential awe of God and God speaks of them a number of things. They shall be mine. Do you long for acceptance and affirmation and belonging? they shall be mine. When I make up my treasured possession, this is from Exodus 19.5, you will be to me a treasured possession, a segula, that which I desire and want and treasure greatly. Do you live in the daily knowledge of your value to God? his treasured possession. I will spare them. When God's justice rolls, when he comes, what hope do we have but his mercy and his forgiveness offered to us through Jesus Christ. Once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And this was repeated throughout Exodus as God acted to free Israel from slavery. When there was the plague of darkness, the sons of Israel lived in the light. When certain plagues happened, Israel was spared. And so there was a distinction between those who serve and those who do not, between those who fear God and those who will not. Is it God or self that we're serving? It all comes down to who we worship, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And again, that word is often translated to worship and to serve, they're the same thing. Because God says, I am a great king. I am master, I am father, I am a king, and my name will be feared among the nations. I do not change. I love you, and I'm coming to you. This passage today in this conclusion leads us to see there are two responses to God. We either reject God and who he is, or we stand in awe. We see him as worthless, or we bow down in worship. These are the two responses to the good news of God's unchanging love and his justice its rejection or repentance as malachi wraps up this message there's two choices we all face We either believe that God no longer loves us, no longer exercises his justice, and he has changed. He's not the same God that leads us out of Egypt. He's not the same God who raises Christ from the dead. He's not the same God who sends his church into the world for his glory. Or we return to him who says, I have loved you. I have always loved you. I will continue to love you. I am coming to you to refine you and I don't change. So, three questions for us today. In what ways am I doubting God's eternal love for me? In my actions, in my attitudes, I wouldn't say that I'm doubting God's love outright, but are there things in my life, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, In what ways am I doubting God's eternal love for me? Second question, do I really believe that the God of justice is alive and well and active in a world that seems so unjust and broken? And am I longing for him to return? Or have I given up hope that the God of the Bible is the God of today? At the end of the day, there's only two responses. There's entrenched resistance or enriched repentance. How are you responding to God in your life, not just on Sunday, but every day? Where do you need to spend some time reflecting on the character and the nature of God and who he is in humble repentance? How would God evaluate your words and your deeds and your attitudes toward Him? And then I think this is a good flip side of the coin. How does your heart respond to the reality that having turned to Him, embracing His refining work in your life, that God claims you They're, you're mine and you're a treasured possession they shall be mine says the Lord of hosts in the day when I make up my treasured possession I will spare them as a man spares a son whom he's, who serves him then once more you'll see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between the ones who serves God one who does not serve him That's the reward. Being treasured by God. That's, that's the reward. That's the answer. Is it vain to serve God? No, I'm treasured by God. What, what do I get out of keeping his charge and walking in repentance before the Lord of hosts? That he treasures me. That's what I get. So may the message of Malachi lead us to embrace a life of enriched repentance in the presence of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to a fork in the road at this point. At the end of Malachi's message, he paints two Responses to the message. Will we continue in our resistance to your Spirit's work in our hearts? Or will we surrender in repentance and humility before the throne of grace? Will we look for the ways that we want to define meaning and fulfillment and prosperity in this world? Or are we going to look for the fact that when we surrender to you, we become your treasure? For you were not your own, you were bought with a price. The price was Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Leave everything behind and follow me. Though he was in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took up the nature of a servant. Became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God because there's a treasured possession he deeply wants. They will be mine when I come to make up my treasured possession. Oh, Father, may we see the deep reward of following you is not to get stuff for ourselves, but to be treasured by You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. Romans chapter 16, 25, 27. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the...